Bhaktivinanda Swami Maharaj Prabhupada Ki Jai. Iskan founder Acharya Shila Prabhupada Ki Jai and Antikoti Vaishnavrinda Ki Jai. Namacharya Shila Haridas Thakur Ki Jai. Prem Shikaho Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Adoyta Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaur Bhaktivrinda Ki Jai. Shri Shri Radha Krishna Gogopina Shai Mukunda Radha Kunda Giri Govardhana Ki Jai. Vrindavan Dhamma Ki Jai, Mathura Dhamma Ki Jai, Navadrit Mayapur Dhamma Ki Jai, Jagannath Puri Dhamma Ki Jai, Ganga Maya Jumunda Devi Ki Jai, Bhakti Devi Ki Jai, Tulsi Maharani Ki Jai, Samaveta Bhakti Vrinda Ki Jai, Gaur Premanande. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Garanga, all glories to Srila Prabhupada, Nama Om Vishnu Padaya, Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale, Srimati Bhaktivedanta Swami Niti Namane, Namaste Saraswati Deve, Gauravani Pacharani, Nivasesis, and Nivani Paskatiade Satarani, Vandeham Sri Guru Sri Utah, Padakamalam Sri Guru, Vaishnavam Shashi, Rupam Sagrajatam, Sahagana Raghunatam Vitam Stam Sajivam Sadvaitam Sadvadutam Parijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam. Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Vitamscha Panchakapa Tribhishcha Kipasindhuyevata Pritam Pavanevyo Vaishnavayamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamamam
In this way, one can elevate an aristocratic family to the platform of a dynasty. It is significant in this verse that Paranjana got both sons and daughters married. It is the duty of a father and mother to arrange for the marriage of their sons and daughters. That is the obligation in Vedic society. Sons and daughters should not be allowed freedom to intermingle with the opposite sex unless they are married. This Vedic social organization is very good in that it stops the promulgation of illicit sex life or Varna Shankara, which appears under different names in the present day. Unfortunately, in this age, although the father and mother are anxious to get their children married, the children refuse to get married by the arrangement of the parents. Consequently, the number of Varna Shankara has increased throughout the world under different names. Sapanchala Pati Putram Pitrir Vamsha Vivardana Darai Sam Yo Jayam Asha Duhitri Sadrishar Varai. After this, King Puranjana, king of the Panchala country, in order to increase the descendants of his paternal family, married his sons with qualified wives and married his daughters with qualified husbands. Mm. So it's important to arrange for succession. This is a repeating theme throughout the Bhagavatam that part of the responsibility in doing whatever we're doing is to make sure that it goes on, to make sure that it's not dependent on our being around. In the, his famous book, Good to Great, James Collins, one of the classics of organizational theory. He talks about what he calls level five leaders. And one of the things that level five leaders do is they're more concerned with the organization than with themselves. You know, we see that many times organizations, whether they're religious organizations or any other kind of organizations, as soon as a leader dies or retires, everything falls apart. It's more of a personality cult. But the Vedic standard is not like that. The Vedic standard is that things should go on, uh, that things should continue. Also, we here we have a Vedic standard is that people's needs should be met, that you make sure that everyone's need is met in a dharmic way. So, of course, our main concern is not to produce material dynasties, although there's some concern for that. The Lord wants there to be sufficient human population because the human population is the jumping off point for self-realization. And that means that good people have to have good children, have to have facility for good children. So certainly the Lord is concerned about that. But mostly we're concerned about increasing the spread of bhakti. Mm -hmm. And we should always remember that this particular story is an allegory. So it can be taken on many different levels. So we're going to look at, at three different levels here. One is the continuation or the propagation of good qualities. Another is the continuation or propagation of compatibility. And then finally, we're going to look at Srila Prabhupada's main point in the purport about making sure that people's uh, social, physiological, emotional needs are taken care of in a society. So it's very interesting that Vishnu Chakravati Thakur, in his tika on this verse, uh, is going from the allegorical perspective entirely as a very short tika. And he says that the wives here represent good qualities, such as consideration and determination, and the husbands represent good qualities, such as humility and affection. I found that very interesting the particular qualities he attributed to the males and the particular qualities that he attributed to the females. The concept here is that the continuation of a project, a program, should be in terms not just does it go on externally, but is it going on with good qualities. So let's look at Mahaprabhu's Krishna Consciousness Movement. So it's very easy to think of continuing the movement. You know, here we're talking about Puranjana. He has children, and his, he has a lot of children, and his, uh, please don't try to have, like, 
a thousand children, <laughs> but he has over a thousand children, and then his children all get married, and they have children, and it becomes this huge dynasty. I, I think, I, I remember reading that Genghis Khan, Khan's uh, DNA is prevalent in a huge part of the human population because of how many children he fathered. Uh, but we want to do this with bhakti. We want to, every disciple should make disciples, basically. Everybody, the Prabhupada said, everybody should be a guru. The Bhagavatam talks about three ways to have children. One is the, the biological process. One is through students and disciples. Another is through yagya, through the fire, the sacrificial fire. So all of us are supposed to expand the Krishna consciousness movement. We're all supposed to bring more people to Krishna consciousness. However one wants to define being a guru, however one wants to define making disciples, that's uh, beyond the scope of this talk today. But we should all be bringing more people to bhakti yoga. But that doesn't mean that just superficially more people come. Because we'll see that there's many religious institutions, many religions that have lasted for a very long time. They're in the minority, of course. Most religions don't last very long at all. But those that have lasted for a very long time, often the essence of the religion is gone. Just like Srila Prabhupada talked about one of his godbrothers. And this particular godbrother, many uh, of Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati's disciples complained about him to Srila Bhakti Siddhanta and said, you know, he has personal mundane ambitions. And Srila Bhakti Siddhanta, according to, to A.C. Bhakti Siddhanta Swami Prabhupada, Srila uh, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati would say, it doesn't matter because he's rendering so much valuable service as a manager, which he was. But after the passing from this world of Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati, this particular godbrother engaged in litigation to get the properties of various Kodimat. And uh, Srila Prabhupada A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami commented that, in a conversation I believe, that this godbrother wanted the properties. So Krishna, he said, gave him the properties but didn't give him the mission. And I thought that was very insightful that any kind of religious, any kind of religion has a certain some kind of external manifestation. Something. It has books, it has buildings, it has adherents who get their particular type of, of uh, jargon, uh, for lack of a better word, their particular type of language and vocabulary and, and uh, practices and rituals and so forth. But those things are not the essence of the thing. Uh, like my godbrother Ayendra said, the shower is not the pipes, it's the water. Now, it's good to have pipes and it's good to have a shower enclosure, but the point of the shower is the water. Or the river is not the river banks, it's not the river bed, it's, it's the water. And so in many cases there are religions that continue in terms of the pipes, but not in terms of the water. I mean, it's actually quite common that people continue with the espousing the beliefs of the religion and engaging in the external practices of the religion. And, you know, maybe a lot of pomp and ceremony and, and more and more rules that weren't even in the scriptures. You know, you think about the Catholic Church, it fascinates me, the Roman Catholic Church, where they have so many intricate rules as to how to choose cardinals and bishops and popes and things. and None of that's anywhere in the Old or the New Testament. It's something that they made up. You know, their Latin liturgy is something that they made up. A lot of the rituals is something that they made up. It is, I, I find that really interesting. But in any case, you can have these external behaviors, whether they're from Scripture or whether somebody made them up, and you can have your beliefs, again, whether they're from scripture or somebody made them up or somewhere in between. And they can go on and, and it appears that there's a religion, but it's not potent. Prabhupada called it a show bottle. You know, Srila Prabhupada in his Grahasta life ran a pharmaceutical company. And he was, he was explaining that when you're selling pharmaceuticals, you want to have something in the display window. So you put something that's not real medicine. You don't want to put real medicine out in the window in the sunlight. 
but you put uh, you take a bottle in which there would normally be medicine and you put some colored water and things like that. So it becomes show bottle, it becomes external, and, and so much of Srila Prabhupada's instructions is to avoid this happening. Now, in order to avoid this happening, you have to have the, the good quality, you have to have the evidence, there's evidence, there's the lakshana, there's the signs. What are the signs? Just like Prabhupada told one of his disciples, uh, Siddha Sarup, who wanted to start his own movement, Prabhupada said, yes, a tree can be beautiful if there's many branches, but make sure the fruit tastes the same. You know, there should be, as, as it says in the Bible, the fruit of the Spirit. So the, the real evidence as to whether or not one is connected is in what one is. What one is. So here we find that, according to Vishnu Chakravati Thakur, King Paranjana's having his dynasty go on was, was in terms of the quality and of the person, in terms of the character of the person, in terms of who they are. And of course here we may be looking at uh, good qualities that are also common to those who are bhakti yogis, but may also be exhibited by materialistic people in Rajagun and, and Sattvagun and sometimes in Tamagun even. But I'd like to look at these qualities that Vishnu Chakravati Thakur highlighted consideration, determination, humility, and affection. And I, I, it's interesting, again, that he, I don't know if there's anything to this, why he ascribed consideration and determination to the women and humility and affection to the men. Uh, but let's, let's look at it. So uh, this is in terms of marriage, of course. So for the women to have consideration and determination... So, the, as Prabhupada says elsewhere, the psychology of men is that they want to feel that they're superior, they want to feel that they're the protectors, that they want to feel that they are the heroes. And in order to work with someone with a partner who has this mood that I want to be the superior and I want to be uh, the hero, requires quite a bit of consideration and determination. You know, all of us conditioned souls want to be the Lord and the Master. And Krishna says that marriages should be between equals. He says the husband and wife should be equal. This concept that the husband and wife in a marriage should be equal is throughout the Shastras. At the same time, although the husband and wife are equal, uh, the man wants to be in a superior position. And if the woman doesn't uh, facilitate this, then the man feels that he's useless. He, He feels that he's not needed. He loses his impetus for action. And so this requires a lot of consideration and a lot of determination. It requires uh, for the woman to basically not act on the platform of her own ego, but to be in the mood of a servant. And that's antithetical to the way a conditioned soul thinks. A conditioned soul wants to be a master. And of course in modern society there's a real rebellion against this idea that anybody should be in the mood of a servant. Especially, you know, women shouldn't be in the mood of a servant. I was once visiting a family, and the husband comes home from work, and the wife's there with young children, and he asks her for something, and she says, you know, my job description doesn't include servant. (laughs) And I thought that was really interesting. So this is the the general tendency, and therefore uh, women particularly are to cultivate this mood of being a servant consideration and determination. Uh, But then, if the man is going to have the position psychologically, if in order for the man to be enlivened, he has to have the psychological position of being the master, then there's all kinds of problems with exploiting. I was just listening to a conversation with Srila Prabhupada where uh, he was asked uh, whether or not the men make all the decisions and the women follow. And Prabhupada said, no, Krishna makes the decisions and everybody follows. And Prabhupada said, spiritually we are all equal. There's no, there's no question that anybody is superior or inferior spiritually. He said, but materially why one is master and one is servant? He said, materially there is a difference. And we see that no matter what efforts are made at an egalitarian society, that if you try to superficially on the material platform make everyone equal, it's it's catastrophic. 
at the same time acknowledging that some people are in a position of authority and some people are in a position of subordinate then the authority has an opportunity to exploit the subordinate and that's in fact what happens which is why there's this push for external egalitarianism so Vishnu Chakravati Thakur was mentioning for the husbands that they would have the quality of humility and affection so you know all of us sometimes are whether we're married or not and whether we're in this life whether we're male or female that we all have a position of being a subordinate to somebody and we all have a position of being in a position of authority over somebody or something so when we're in a position of being a subordinate we need to be considerate and determined I mean, consider it that our authorities are not always going to make the same decisions that we would make. They're not always going to make decisions that we think are the best decisions. But to be considerate of their responsibilities in taking that role as superiors. And to be determined to maintain this mood of, of a servant. It was also very interesting. Uh, again, one time when I was visiting a family. So this was a... By American standards, I'd say upper-middle-class family, and as far as world standards, it would be considered a very wealthy family compared to most people in the world. But by American standards, it was upper-middle-class. And both the husband and wife are very, very well-educated and very competent. Uh, The wife had worked in the past. Uh, She could certainly bring in an income, uh, a considerable income to the family. But they had young children, and she had elected at a certain point Uh, not to work. So she was bringing in some money. She was doing some part-time work from home, uh, but she certainly wasn't working full-time. The main breadwinner was the husband. And uh, when I was listening with this family, I was noticing how how much facility that they had, especially as I have traveled the world. I mean, not doing it now, but as I've traveled the world a lot, and to see in comparison to most people in the world, I mean, even in comparison to much of Europe, Americans tend to, on average, have higher facility. And I was just thinking how much facility this family had. You know, they had a beautiful home. They had two vehicles. Uh, they, they had practically more clothes than they could wear. The kids had more toys than they could play with. They had more food than they could eat. I mean, quite literally, they had more food than they could eat, more toys than they could play with, more clothes than they could wear. The children were involved in all sorts of classes and lessons and, and things of this nature. And I was realizing, you know, for the wife and children, I mean, certainly the woman worked, she wasn't a lazy person, she, she did a lot of work, but I thought, really, the responsibility tends to fall on the man. That in some families, of course, the wife is the main, bread, main breadwinner and the man is a house husband, but in general, the main financial responsibility, the main protection responsibility tends to fall on men. And Therefore, some sense of gratitude on the part of the women and and the children in these situations, a sense of consideration and a sense of determination to be grateful, to be considerate, to be willing to let the man be the leader when he's taking this kind of responsibility. But when one is in a position of the authority, to also be humble and have affection, not to think, well, because I'm taking the responsibility, because I'm the protector, uh, therefore I can be exploitive but to always be humble, to remember that whatever facility I have to lead others, whatever facility I have to protect others, whatever facility I have where I'm in a a higher position, in a superior position on the material level, that we're all equal before God, and God is the only Ekalishwar Krishna. Arasarva Vritja, everyone else is a servant. Everyone is a servant. So I may seem like a big authority, but I'm simply a servant. It may seem that I have so many leadership abilities, even in my own family, whatever, but I'm always a servant. And the people that I lead are just as important to Krishna as I am. There, there's, there's no difference in the quality of importance and to always keep this humility so that the leader also has a view of being a servant. Alai Prabhupada says, call, you call everyone Prabhu, but you don't think you're a Prabhu. And then affection. I was just hearing, uh, Bir Krishnaswami was speaking about this in today's class where Lord Indra was praising Krishna as the father and the guru and that the father and the guru always have affection for their disciples. So in the same way that the, the men must have affection 
for the wife and for the children. Not seeing them as simply extensions of his own senses and objects for his sense enjoyment and objects for his mental enjoyment, but, but to see them as living beings with great affection. And so this sort of relationship needs to go on in order for there to be real succession. That everyone needs to have this mood of I'm a servant, have consideration towards those who have a position of leadership and take the responsibility of leadership to be determined to act as a servant even when it's difficult to do so. And those of us who have positions of leadership or when we have positions of leadership to always retain our humility. Uh, to never have the ahankara, like we're reading about Indra at the temple here, that, you know, I'm the chief. Indra means the chief. That I'm the chief, that I'm the important person. I'm the guru. Bhakti Sancha said, as soon as we think we're a guru, we become a cow, we become a guru, we become an animal. So to always remember, I am also a servant. And to take care of those under my care with affection. That means really seeing them as a soul. And if this isn't going on, then it may appear that generations are going on. It may appear that people are joining a religious society, that people are, are practicing Krishna consciousness, but there's no actual consciousness of Krishna. Because if I'm conscious of Krishna, I'm going to naturally display these good qualities. You know, there's 26 qualities of the devotees, there's 50 qualities of the, of the Krishna conscious jiva sharing the first 50 qualities with Krishna. There's, of course, the nine symptoms of bhava. There's the symptoms of the self-realized soul that Krishna gives in the end of chapter 2, uh, the, the end of chapter 12 in the, in the Bhagavad Gita where Krishna gives the qualities of those who are dear to him. And it's not that we want to develop these qualities out of ego so that we can think, oh yes, I'm a very good person, I'm very humble. <laughs> and it's not that we want to develop these qualities so we can be in sattva guna, where one enjoys the world more. And it's not that we want to develop these qualities even so that we can attend moksha. But we want to develop these qualities so that we can please Krishna. I mean, even in ordinary life, an ordinary person is more pleased with someone who has good qualities. You know, it's more pleasing to be with people who are considerate. It's more pleasing to be with someone who's determined. It's more pleasing to be with someone who's humble. It's more pleasing to be with someone who's has, who's affectionate. And so therefore, because we're trying to please Krishna, <laughs> that is the essence of Krishna consciousness, devotional service, trying to please the Lord, therefore we should become the kind of person who pleases the Lord. And what is the use of all of our austerities and rituals and all of our philosophy uh, if we don't please the Lord? I mean, what's the point? You know, this is said in the Shastra that if you please the Lord, what's the point of your austerities? And if you're not pleasing the Lord, what's the point of your austerities? So everything we do should be to become a real devotee. I mean, I'm sorry to have to say this, but it has to be said that we see many people who are expert in explaining philosophy. Maybe they can talk in pure Sanskrit to explain philosophy and who are expert in performing all the rituals. We can think about the yogic brahmanas. But they, they don't have humility. They don't have affection. They don't have consideration. And so that's not actual dharma. It's not actual continuing of the, the dynasty. It may look like may hundreds or thousands of years may go by where it looks like religion is continuing. Uh, but it's not so. And Prabhupada talks about Varna Sankara. Varna Sankara means they don't know their Varna. They're, they're, they're lost. <laughs> they, their qualities are not clear. And so it's their you know, illegitimate children. They're, they're unwanted. They're, they're out of the social order. They're not protected. They're not cared for. So it's like that. We can ostensibly be bringing people to Krishna consciousness, but if they're uncared for, then things are not going on. Then we have another consideration in terms of having the succession go on, and this was commented on by Jiva Goswami. And Jiva Goswami wrote, like Vishnu Chakrabadi Thakur, wrote a very short tika on this verse. And he says that in each case, the marriages 
were between men and women who had good form and good fragrance. So I thought that was really interesting. Good form and good fragrance. I don't think that that means that um, they all use the right kind of perfume. <laughs> I don't think that's quite what he means. But as I already mentioned, Krishna tells Rukmini that marriage should be between equals. And he really emphasizes this point. Of course, he's emphasizing this point when he's harassing her and saying that he's not equal to her and so she should marry someone else. And he's saying that he's lower than her. He's saying, I'm, I'm not as good as you, so you should marry someone else. But throughout the Shastra, there's this emphasis on equality of marriage. And we find, say, Kardama Muni, he says, I want Sama, I want a wife who's going to be like me, who's going to be compatible. And indeed, Devamuti was very compatible. Although she was born in a Kshatriya family, she was very happy with the forest austerities. It was, it was very suitable for her to, to live like that. I mean, later, Kardama Muni, by his mystic power, created opulences. But she wasn't attached to Kshatriya opulences. She had a Brahminical mood, and so she was very compatible with Kardama Muni. And this concept of, of understanding the nature of the woman and the nature of the man so that they'll be compatible. As I say, there's a thread that runs throughout all of the Shastra. And one of the ways you get Varnasankara is you have an improperly mixed marriage, especially if the wife is, is of a higher nature, a more refined nature. So this consideration makes me think about uh, my god sister Yamuna and how at a certain point uh, she and... Uh, another god sister, Dean Tarni, got their own place, and they were practicing Krishna consciousness together. And there were a number of devotees who were very critical of their behavior in this regard, saying, you know, they've separated themselves from the society, and they don't want to work together, and, and so forth and so on. And Srila Prabhupada wrote them, because then they wrote Srila Prabhupada, and they said, Srila Prabhupada, you know, are we disple- displeasing you? Do you want us to, to give up what we're doing and go back and live in a temple? These were the days when, if you were a devotee, you lived in a temple. And Shiva Prabhupada said, no. He said, why? Why do you Westerners always want to change things? He said, you know, I'm happy with where, with where you are and what you're doing. And he said that a good association can be there with two people if they are compatible. And if there are 200 people who are not compatible, nobody will make any advancement. And it's quite interesting. I, I just recently got a message from a, a dear friend of mine who said that, um, let me see if I, can, if I can quote from what she said, because I thought it was, it was pretty amazing. Um, let's see. Mm. So this friend wrote me, recently we had more devotee association, but I must admit that I've been disappointed a little bit. Somehow they do not seem to be really eager to spend time discussing topics relating to Krishna, reading and chanting together. It is more of a burden to them. And when conversation drifts toward virus and social things, they seem to wake up. (laughs) So I was just thinking about different levels of devotees, different uh, stages of advancement, different personality types, different varnas. And so uh, this friend of mine is a real Krishna Kata person. When I visit their home, uh, I'd say 80 to 90% of the conversation is on Krishna's Nam Gunarupa Lila. And, you know, the other 10, 20% is on practical things like, did you put gas in the car and do we have enough tomatoes to make lunch and things like that. Uh, but that's not the case with everyone. I mean, we find, I, I find there are some people that if I start talking about Krishna's Nam Gunarupa Lila, they become, like this friend wrote me, very uncomfortable. And, and they, they lose their attention. They kind of drift off. And if you talk to them about social issues, or then they perk up and they're, they're very interested. And the other way, you know, we have people who are the opposite, that if you're talking about social issues, they're bored and their mind wanders, and if you talk about Krishna's Lula, uh, they become very interested. And so there's different types of people, and there's different compatibility of people. And it's not that everybody has to be the same in the Krishna consciousness movement, but we want to continue the, the spreading of the Krishna consciousness movement 
I'm not, okay, there we go. We want to continue this spreading of the Krishna consciousness movement in terms of good form and good fragrance. Mm-hmm. That we want members to uh, to be good association for each other. I think, Narahari, you need to mute. And we also want there to be compatible association. We want there to be compatible association. That means that there is a, an encouragement for at least a tolerance of the fact that there's going to be different types of devotees who need to associate in different ways. That we don't try to put everyone into the same category. That there's different types of classes and there's different types of instruction and there's different types of communities and there's different types of facility so that people can work compatibly and that we don't try to force people into an incompatible situation. We don't want to force people into situations that are incompatible with their nature or incompatible with their level of advancement. Bhaktivinoda Thakur writes, and I quote this a lot in Bhaktiloka in terms of Niyamagraha, that the rules change as one advances and that we shouldn't try to go too high too fast, but also that if we're ready to progress and we become attached to the rules of the lower systems, they act as chains around our feet. So this is very important for the progress of our Krishna consciousness movement to recognize that there's different moods of devotees, there's different levels of devotees, and there needs to be some facility for everybody. And rather than what I see a lot of now where people just can't relate to some people that have a different mood or a different level and are simply critical. Uh, you know, it's that's not how things are going on. You want to match people according to, as Jiva Goswami says, form and fragrance. Now, another way in which things go on is that you make sure that people's needs are taken care of. So people have physical needs, they have mental intellectual needs, they have emotional and social needs, and they have spiritual needs. And here in the Purport, Srila Prabhupada is focusing on uh, the physical, emotional, and social needs for marriage. And that involves somewhat also mental intellectual needs because it's in marriage that one has a career, then it also engages one's, as he would say, psychophysical nature. And uh, this Purport is something that uh, society is grossly failing at, and I would include our Vaishnav societies. You know, Srila Prabhupada has a purport in the first canto where he says that there should be compulsory marriage, a maximum for women at 16, maximum for men at 24. And Prabhupada's saying here, according to the Vedic system, everyone should marry. A, a number of devo- devotees have pointed out that in a Vedic society, to be a lifetime renunciate was something you really had to fight for. You know, we know Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati never finished getting his undergraduate degree so that he wouldn't be such an attractive uh, potential spouse. So why did he do that? He did that because he was growing up in a society where parents understood that every son and every daughter should get married. And the reason is is very simple, as Srila Prabhupada explains in this purport. This is not rocket science. That people, when they get to puberty, have a desire for sex. They have a desire for gross sex. They have a desire for the emotional uh, components, the balancing of the male and female energies. Uh, that desire is there. It's it's strongly there in physical biology, and it's strongly there in the psychology. It is. I mean, there are rare, rare few people who it, this is not the case for. I mean, some people are diseased, and so they have no desires like that. And other people are just, they just simply don't have any desire like that. I mean, there are people like that. Uh, But that is very, very much an exception. It is very much an exception. And therefore, in Vedic society, the parents understood that one of the things that they were obliged to do was to make sure that their children got married. And if again, if the child wanted to be a lifetime renunciate, they had to fight for that. You know, what we've done in our Vaishnav Sanghas is the opposite. So we encourage people to be renunciates and they have to fight to get married. Married, And we see marriage as a fall down. And, uh, this view has created havoc in our society. And of course, in the 
society in general, people are marrying later and later and later. I mean, now to get married at 22, 25 is considered young. People are marrying closer to 30, even 35. And it's not that before marriage that they're engaging in renunciation. That's not the fact. People are still having sexual um, liaisons at a young age. They're having sexual liaisons just as young as people were getting married, but they're not getting married. And what's fascinating is that uh, increasingly throughout the world, they're legally prohibiting marriage under the age of 18, but they are not, and nor could they, legally prohibit sex under the age of 18. And there's many places where you cannot marry under 18, even if the girl's pregnant. So, you know, I mean, I know of a case in the United States where the girl was 14. I don't remember how old the boy was, maybe he was 18. Anyway, she was pregnant, and he married her. And after the baby was born, he was arrested for statutory rape, even though by that time he had married her. And I thought, well, great, so if she had aborted the baby or whatever, then he wouldn't have been arrested. But because he married her and took responsibility, therefore he was arrested. So this is the complete insanity of modern society, that if you're going to have sex when you're 14, even 13, you know, that that's fine, society isn't going to blink an eye at that, and if you're going to have, you know, sex with multiple partners, so that by the time you're 30, you've had sex with, you know, 100 people, nobody's going to think anything of that. And as I've said before, the sex education in the schools, at least in Western countries, is almost exclusively on how to have illicit sex. How to have sex without contracting a disease and how to have sex without creating a pregnancy. I don't think they even discuss how to have illicit sex and remain emotionally sane. I don't think they deal with that. They just deal with how to avoid physical disease and how to avoid pregnancy. Whereas real sex education should be how to be a good partner, how to be a good spouse, how to raise your children nicely. Uh, that should be really, at least it should be included in sexual education. And Krishna is arranging that, arranged that the, acts of, the act of sex releases attachment chemicals. It releases in the body chemicals of attachment, chemicals of trust, uh, chemicals of affection. Because people are meant to take care of each other. It's, just, it's meant that people who have a sexual relationship should take care of each other. Now, I know in the modern day, the statistics on early marriage are pretty bad. Uh, but that's because when early marriage is, was common in society, there was also extended family. There was also support from family. There was support from the society. And divorce was a very rare thing in those days. But at least, at the very, very least, we should be making sure in any society, whether it's a spiritual society or society in general, that people can get their physiological, emotional, mental needs met in a dharmic way. And because these are needs, if people don't get them met in a dharmic way, they'll get them met in an adharmic way. I always give the example, if people are starving and you don't feed them, they'll steal food. It just is what it is what it is. So I feel like I'm a voice crying in the wilderness, you know, with a purport like this. Uh, but it, it's just the fact. It's psychology, it's biology, it's a fact. Uh, thankfully, <laughs> bhakti is independent, and even if people are not marrying till they're 35 after they've had 100 illicit relationships, and then people are getting divorced another three times, and, you know, they have children from here and children from there and children from everywhere, uh, still bhakti is there. <laughs> Bhakti is independent, and while having a foundation where people's basic needs are met certainly is helpful to bhakti, bhakti is not dependent on it. So we can still ask people, no matter how crazy their family situation is and whatever, and it's pretty crazy out there uh, and in here. It's crazy everywhere. That no matter how crazy it is, that everyone can still engage in bhakti. Bhakti does not depend on karma. This is karma. Bhakti is not dependent on that. Still, Krishna would be pleased if we had a sane and stable society. I don't see it happening anytime soon. Uh, and I don't see purports like this as very, very, being very popular, <laughs> even among devotees. Uh, but this is certainly the case. So we have a responsibility to care for others. We have a responsibility to things, for things to go on. We don't just have a responsibility that I do my stuff now. I mean, 
wherever I live, I'm always thinking about whoever's going to live there when I'm not there anymore. How can I set up my space so that it would be comfortable for other people? If I'm doing a service, I always think, how can I do this service so somebody else could continue it in my absence and to train other people? And we looked at, at three different aspects of having things go on. One was in terms of good qualities, as Mr. Chakravati Thakur mentioned, consideration, determination, humility, and affection. Another is to have things go on in terms of compatibility, as Jiva Goswami mentions, having good form and good fragrance. And another is that if things are going to go on, they have to go on on all levels. People have to be cared for on all levels, not only spiritual. They also have to be cared for on the physiological, the social, the emotional, and the mental level. So questions, comments, corrections, additions, subtractions. I have a question. Yes. Yes. You mentioned as an example of Cardamamuni uh, and Devahuti how uh, he was a renunciant and she was from a Shakya family. And yet, uh, we heard that he was inclined to um, the spirituality, to simple life and simple life. So, when considering our children, as has been on this topic to study, one should only consider the girl, one should consider the fall the whole family. Well, the family, the family is always part of the consideration, but it's not everything. Prabhupada likes to quote that one should uh, take up gold even from a dirty place. And so if there's a very high-class girl, even from a low family, that one can accept her. But the family should certainly be looked at. I mean, when we're looking at marriage, uh, you, you always want to look at, at that, but it's not everything. An individual can be better or worse than their family. You know, Maharaj Anga has Vena as his son, and Hiranyakashipu has Prahlad as his son. So the family isn't everything. A person can be lower or higher than their family, and they can be vastly different from their family. But certainly that's part of the consideration. I mean, it's part of the consideration just from the fact that you do marry into a family. And sometimes having a mother-in-law from hell or a father-in-law from hell is, is going to impact the marriage even if the boy and girl are compatible. And we've seen that, you know. We've seen extended family members who ruin marriages. I mean, I have one friend whose, whose mother died fairly young. And one time, you know, she said, had my mother lived, my marriage wouldn't have been able to, to survive the influence of my mother. So, family needs to be looked at just from that perspective. But, ultimately, we're looking at the individual, not at the family. Thank you. I, uh, I like the subject of compatibility. It's, um, sometimes you know, I you notice that it's really important that we find like-minded devotees to associate with. And it's, it's certainly in my experience that I've come, come across many you know, very advanced and very venerable Vaishnavas, but for some reason there just isn't, there just isn't, some, there just isn't a good chemistry. Mm. And, and, and then there's others where there's just this really sweet chemistry, and it kind of makes me think of maybe it's natural. Like in the spiritual world, there's different camps and, and different groups that serve Krishna in, in different ways. And, um, and I think it's also an important component when someone is, is looking for a guru. It seemed like it was sort of a travesty when, well, Prabhupada was one-size-fits-all. Everybody, who Prabhupada was perfect for everyone. He was in a category all of his own. But it's important that, that well, when they, when they had that, uh, what was it called, the zonal guru thing, you're, 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 you go, someone becomes your guru, you, 
you, you, there may not be that compatibility because they're not pure devotees like Prabhupada wants. And um, so f- finding a compatible, a compatible teacher, you mentioned before, whatever level of guru we're talking about, if other one is, is giving, just giving shiksha or just mentoring, it's important to find that compatibility because it really makes spiritual life go a lot easier. Yes. Yes. Yes, and that can change also, by the way. Mm. You know, I mean, a people progress at different rates and in different ways. And so sometimes, you know, what's really a compatible situation when you're 20 may not be when you're 30. So that's also true. And therefore, you know, there's many shiksha gurus and, and so forth. Does that, does that make sense? It makes perfect sense, yeah. No, you know, there, like there's, people, there's people whose classes that I may have found really, really enlivening at a particular stage of my own spiritual growth. And then at another stage, I really don't. Mm. You know, it, things change. And uh, I see this... Uh, this was brought up... Who was giving this class? It was about Raghunath Das Goswami. I can't remember who was giving the class. But they were making, it was recently that I heard this class, they were making the point that Raghunath Das Goswami had, oh, oh, it was uh, Vaisheshika Prabhu. That was on the occasion of the Chiprice Festival. And he was talking about how Raghunath Goswami had different ways of providing himself with food when he went to Jagannath Puri. That, you know, it, at first he's begging, then he's going to the charity booths and, and so forth and so on, and how he was inviting Lord Chaitanya, then he stopped inviting Lord Chaitanya. And Vaisheshika Prabhu made the point that all of these were, were perfect at the time. But he got to a point that they weren't anymore. So they were, it was a compatible situation and it was nourishing for him spiritually. And then it got to a point where it wasn't. And, and he needed to make a shift. And sometimes when that happens, the people that you're working with make that shift with you and sometimes they don't. Mm. You know, and, and so sometimes you have to make some change in, in your service and your situation. So this, that also happens. That definitely also happens. I mean, there'd be some people maybe that they don't make the shift with you, but for various reasons you're still interacting with them. Maybe they're family members. But your interaction with them then is going to change. That can become problematic, say, in a marriage. It can. Where a couple is is perfectly compatible with one another at the time of marriage. But as time goes on and as they grow and mature and evolve, they sort of grow apart. That can, and it can be, you know, between siblings, between parents and children, between friends and friends, even between guru and disciple. I mean, thinking about, um, you know, Riddai Chaitanya and and Jiva Goswami and, and Shamananda. So, you know, there's... It, it sometimes can be problematic. And, you you know, you want to keep the marriage going, or you want to keep a relationship with a friend, or you want to keep a relationship with a, with a grown child, or with a sibling, or whatever, but the nature of that relationship might change. That, I mean, I know of many cases where within a marriage, one member has achieved a much higher level of spiritual realization than the other. I know of many such cases where, you know, one of the persons has no idea that their spouse is on a a very high level of spirituality. They just have no idea because it's not something that they can share. You know, it's just, they, they, I know of many, many, many such cases where one of the persons starts developing higher levels of realization that the other hasn't. And they stay in the marriage and they respect each other and they work with each other as devotees, but that's a part of their spiritual life that they're not able to share with their spouse. So that, that also happens. 
You know, this it, it definitely happens. There, there's no question that it happens. So, um, someone could have a guru, and that uh, that disciple changes, and then so isn't that relationship with the guru? That's supposed to be eternal it's not um i mean is it possible that well that then... let's let's look at an incredible purport and okay where is it i mean it almost sounds like you can come to the point where, oh, I don't need this particular guru anymore. And well, your relationship with him may change. That that may happen. And okay. let's it's the see. first time I ever. Well, Prabhupada says it's in a purport in the fourth canto. And let's see if I can find it. One minute. Um. Oh, I hear the cookie frogs. Okay. Um. Here we go. Uh, it's in 4.12.33. And I'm going to just put this into the chat window instead of trying to share my screen. So this is from 4.12.33 purport. No, 4.12.34, sorry. So 4.12.34. Srila Prabhupada says... Um, Sometimes I think that even though I am crippled in many ways, if one of my disciples becomes as strong as Dhruva Maharaj, then he will be able to carry me with him to Vaikuntha. So, yeah, and here we have another quote from that same purport. No, this is 33, sorry, yeah, it's definitely 33. So the conclusion is that a disciple or an offspring who is a very strong devotee can carry with him to Vaikuntha Loka either his father, mother, or a Siksha or a Diksha group. So but isn't that just him being humble? I mean... But so you think what he's saying is not true? I mean, it may not be true about him, but you think he's, no. he's speaking a principle that's untrue? I don't think it's true about Srila Prabhupada particularly. I think Srila Prabhupada is speaking out of humility about himself. But I don't think he's telling us a false principle. Right. Okay. So I'm going to accept that the principle that he's saying is true. That a disciple or an offspring who is a very strong devotee can carry with him to Vaikuntha Loka either his father, mother, or shiksha, or diksha guru. Huh, okay, that's... I, I, I accept that as a, as a correct principle. Now, when Prabhupada says, although I am crippled in so many ways, if one of my disciples becomes as strong as Dhrumars, then he will be able to carry me with him to Vaikuntha Loka, I think there Srila Prabhupada is speaking out of humility. Uh, but the principle I accept is valid. Okay. Is that right? Yeah, I, I, I guess. Um, <laughs> you don't I, like it. Was, no, it's not that. I, I don't know. I'm just kind of. I, I guess it's confusing because, you know, I mean, we're dealing at least with someone very different, Charlotte Prabhupada. Well, I don't think that any of us should think we're going to take Prabhupada to Vaikuntha. But the, the concept that it may happen, 
that a disciple may progress beyond the guru. I'll tell you one instance of that in um, the Bhagavatam is Vasista had this disciple, and I can't remember his name, and it's getting late, so I'm not going to look it up. But Vasista had this disciple, the name starts with an N, and the disciple wants Vasista to do a yagya. And Vasista says, well, I want to do a yagya first for Indra. And the purport it says that that's because Indra would pay more money. So, and the disciple, you know, his guru goes to, to Swarga to do this yagya, and the disciple says, you know, the way the time works, I could be dead by the time my guru comes back to do the yagya. So I'm not going to wait for him. He told me to wait, but I'm not going to wait because it's more important that I do this yagya. So he engaged someone else in doing the yagya. And Vasista comes back and sees that his disciple has done the yagya in his absence and he curses his disciple to die. And his disciple says, you're simply greedy, I curse you to die. They both die, the disciple goes back to Godhead and the guru comes and takes another body. So, there you have it. Or like right now I'm reading in the 8th canto about uh, Bali. How Bali surpassed his guru Sukracharya. I mean, that it happens. Right. It does happen. It's not that it never happens. It does happen. Um, we had this with Ramanujacharya, where he, he ended up initiating his first guru. He surpassed his first guru and ended up becoming the guru of his guru. Now that doesn't mean everybody should go around thinking, well, I'm going to surpass my guru, but the fact is that it does happen. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Again, not that, not that we should go around thinking, well, now I've surpassed my guru. That'll be catastrophic in our spiritual life. But it does happen. I see. Okay, thank you very much. Can I, can I just add one more thing? Yeah, we are going over time, but sure. Um, I heard a devotee talking about New Zealand and how some parents, they allow a boyfriend to move in with their daughter at a young age. And, uh, you know, he had a negative view of that. But we know Prabhupada uh, and in India the culture is that you marry young, and it makes sense. And you made a good illustration of, like, uh, you know, putting this off until 18 is not a, you know, a practical law. And it used to be different. Actually, uh, English law, civil law, was 12 years for females, 14 years for men. Yep. And that was up to 1753. Then it changed. Yep. So now the states are different. So in uh, New Zealand... The general age is 18, but with parental consent, they can circumvent that. And in some states, you can also circumvent the, you know, the rule if you have one or two parents consenting. But it's harder and harder and harder. I mean, my, my granddaughter got married, she got legally married two days before her 18th birthday. They had the fire jug maybe a month before that. And um, the judge did not want to issue the marriage certificate. He said, I don't want to issue a marriage certificate to someone who's not 18. And there was a sign-off from the parents and everything. And she's like, I'm going to be 18 in two days. And he did not want to do it. I mean, it was only when my daughter said, you know, I want to be here for the signing of the marriage certificate and I have to go home tomorrow so if we wait two days till she's 18 I won't be here anymore and the judge finally relented so you have these the, there's legal provisions but there's uh, fewer and fewer judges who are willing to sign off on this and I mean again it would be fine if people were all celibate until they were 18 you know but I, I don't think that's going to happen anytime in in as long as physiology is the way that it is. So... Yeah, right. You know, I agree. It's a crazy, 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 crazy society that gives you permission to have illicit sex and gives you instructions on how to have illicit sex and does not allow you to get married. That is insane. Yeah, 
It is, it's nothing beyond absolute insanity. Uh, and the results are catastrophic in society. But anyways, if you say this, you know, you, you're, then you're crazy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> to, yeah, so to, to say can, these can things... Done, can can, can uh, the parents consent and, and just uh, it's covert until the age and then they legalize it or whatever? Well, yeah, but there's a lot of provisions about, you know, obviously anybody can live together. There can be cohabitation. See, that also, you're not, you know, it's not illegal for 14 and 15-year-olds to cohabit. That's not illegal. They can have babies. That's not illegal. That's crazy. It is, it, it, it's actually crazy. It's actually crazy. And for the girl to get an abortion without permission of the father of the child, without permission of her parents, you know, that's fine. But marriage, no. And in all over India now, the legal age is 18. And in India right now, any man who has sex with a woman under 18, it's considered rape automatically. It's statutory rape automatically. So you have the villages where the families are still getting their children married very young. 14, 15 is still common in the villages. So let's say the girl gets married at 14, she's pregnant at 15. If she goes to a hospital for her delivery and they're seeing that she's having a baby, the husband can be charged with rape under Indian law. So what's that going to do? Yeah, it's horrible. What, what it's going to do is it's going to induce people not to get medical care for pregnancy and birth. Because if you get medical care for pregnancy and birth, then your husband's going to be in jail. Yeah, there, there was a time when hospitals weren't involved in birth birthings anyway. They, well, they, that's they, also true, they, but you want to have, there, there are, you know, there are some percentage of births where you do need a hospital involved. There, there are things that happen in birth where you need to there's have There's some risk. Yeah, but, it, but, it, but it's there. It's there. I mean, you, you do need to have the facility of medical backup if there's a problem. You know, and to, to say... To prefer that the woman die in childbirth or that her baby dies or that they both die because she can't get medical care when she needs it because then her husband's going to be thrown into jail. I mean, so this is, it's, it's madness. It is just madness. And, you know, and the result of this is, is Varna Sankara, the result of this is unwanted children, neglected children, so many blended families, so many, you know... It's, it's not that we have a superior situation for marriage under the present social, cultural, and legal system. That's, that's not what's happening. It's not that people are happier in marriage, that they're staying marriage longer, that the children are more nicely cared for, and that is not the situation. We've simply solved one set of problems by creating another set of problems. But again, these are, not, these are not popular things to talk about, even among devotees. I mean, it's just, it, 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 this, is, you know, this is the kind of purport that people wish Papa didn't write. <laughs> so that's, that's what it is. Okay, thank you very much. Shilprabhad Ki Jai. Thank you.